Welcome back to We're All Stories in the End. And I'm going to let you into a little bit of a podcasting secret and let you peer up the wizard's sleeve. I've screwed up this introduction at least three times already, so in order not to utterly ruin it one more time, I'm going to keep it very short. This week we're talking about Cat's Cradle Witchmark by Andrew Hunt, which was published in June of 1992. And joining me to discuss the book and the new adventures and some exciting statistical evidence is James, who used to do the readings on the last series of this very podcast. This is going to be a lovely chat. Hello, James. Welcome to We're All Stories in the End. Good evening. Um, it's lovely to see you. It's even lovelier to see your your bulging um, <laughs> archive of, of Dr. <laughs> Incinabula, if you'll oh, pardon the expression. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, it's just weird. I mean, I've even got things like this, this, this really bizarre Dalek thing, which I think is bubble bath or something, but it's squidgy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is that is that one of the the victory of the Daleks, Daleks? Yes. The, yes. Yes. Anyway, the less said about those and the fact you can't see them on the podcast is better. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess you've probably been a Doctor Who fan for some time. I first saw it. I I, I know full well that the first episode I saw was Full Circle. Where, where, which episode? Um, it would have been episode two because I can remember the spiders jumping out at Romana as the cliffhanger. Oh wow! So I'm I for the longest time I was convinced that my first episode was Full Circle Part One. <laughs> but recently, you know, you, when you sort of uncover a memory, I just yeah. remember seeing something from season 18 probably well i remember it like a, a snapshot of megloss so i yeah. would have seen that but i remember at the same time being um confused that the end credits wasn't still that kind of weird gray tunnel of oh the what looked like semen yeah so um i probably would have seen something from season 17 in my very infancy but the first one i can clearly remember is full circle one so we're we're the same vintage yes how marvelous uh, i say uh i was born during deadly assassin um ah. so kind of i don't even have a companion that i was that i was uh, kind of associated with no you don't that makes you very rare indeed yeah um yeah. As, as i say i um i associated a lot with adric when i was younger apparently um, is that because you were a very poor actor? No, it was because I was a complete geek um, <laughs> and probably poor personal hygiene. Um, <laughs> Are you saying the only reason the master tied him up in the in that web was because he was a bit whiffy and the master didn't want him getting too close? I don't. I'm, I'm not sure that was the only reason. Bearing in mind that the master has an attachment on his TARDIS con console for handcuffs. You know, um, oh, he does, doesn't he? <laughs> he's, he's got some hobbies. <laughs> he's got some very interesting hobbies, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, say, because the other thing was, in, you know, in that era, I, I, for the longest time, had a really bizarre mixed memory because I um, had this weird mental image of the Patrick Troughton Doctor going out into a forest made of bones. Hmm. And it took me ages to decipher it. And basically it's because just after Logopolis, or between Logopolis and Castrovalva, you had the five faces, five faces of Doctor Who. 
and I'd mixed up the Crotons with the very last shot from An Unearthly Child of the the forest. I was going to speculate that you'd done something along those lines, but it's um, it yeah. I mean, the only and I can remember again with the five faces of Doctor Who. What I remember most keenly about that is that my primary school was right next door to a petrol station. <laughs> And one afternoon there was a leak in the petrol station and my school had to be evacuated onto the, the playing field and we had to go right over the other side of the playing field in the shed. And they said, we're going to have to wait here until we get the all clear. And this would have been, you know, after lunch, maybe two o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I, I spent the whole time being terrified that I'd be late home because they were showing the five faces face of Doctor that. Who. And that was the most important thing that had ever happened when I was, you know. Was. Yeah. I mean, five or so. Yeah, these were the days as well before before UK Gold repeats. Before, I mean, by then the BBC weren't doing many repeats. You had Five Faces, you had the Monsters season, and that was pretty much it. Um, Bizarrely, when you think how much of BBC One's output in the eighties was repeats, they seem (laughs) to repeat everything apart from the one sodding program we wanted to see again. And then, of course, in the 90s, that was it. You know, suddenly UK Gold and you had B-Sky B doing their 31 Who weekend. Yeah. Um, when I say the 90s, this bizarre wilderness is my era. Um, it's one that I am massively fond of. I mean, yes, I mean, I grew up with Fifth Doctor, Colin, and then Sylvester and everything, but the, the wilderness era and books and reading because why you know i loved it you know um i was one of the few people in my kind of year at school who actively went out and bought books yeah yeah i i i can identify with that as well we were not um we were not i remember sort of like just jumping ahead a few years to like secondary school and every every monday everyone would come in and talk about what they bought with their paper round money. <laughs> and three of them, uh, you know, three of them had bought the new kids on the block album. I had bought a novel and probably a Kentucky fried chicken. Cause I was a, I was a fat lad. Um, and they mocked me. Now, yeah. all these years later, I feel like I made the shrewder investment. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's it's very telling to I me. Mean, I used to be a teacher, so I've seen I've seen the attitude to reading change over the years. And by the time kind of getting towards the end of my time as a teacher, the number of students who act actively even would have considered buying a book was just almost zero. Um, I think it's I think you know we are the generation because we had the target novels and then we had the virgin novels and everything you know we were encouraged because that was the only way to 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 revisit these things we had we had a sort of escalator when we were kids we had the terence Diggs, which kind of got us reading mm. and then when our show was taken away we kind of had to go on to the new <laughs> adventures which were aimed at adult stuff and then yeah most people would have ended up being you know proper As- serious readers I mean, I've got I, one of the things that I really one day want to look into is where this idea that the 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 new adventures were adult novels because they, if you look at the back of them, they're clearly marked as TV tie-in. This is true, and this is it's and this idea that kind of oh, there was this big adult, thing. and I I keep looking at them because I'm doing the talking books of them at the moment, and um, I'm doing them as a, just a kind of to help me recover from my illness. And I'm thinking, these aren't actually adult. They're they're what kind of like, again, it's almost like torture where you've got this very immature version of what they think adult is like. Very much so. It's I mean, it was kind of a a, a publishing conceit. They thought if the books lived in the adult sci-fi section, they would sell better than if they lived on the same shelf <laughs> as the targets. Hence, they had a slightly bigger page count yeah. and they had too broad and too deep on the back. But yes. all, all that that breadth and depth really ever translated into was someone would say bugger or crook and oh. Ace, Ace would take her bra off 
Actually, it's really weird because the worst one for it is, um, well, the worst one that other than transit, because I think transit is is actually Cat's Cradle Warhead. Okay. That has got some really disturbingly bad stuff in. Um, it's it's a very um, it's a very cyberpunky William Gibson kind of yeah. bleak future, and I think what it's got uh, child prostitution in. It's got child prostitution. Um, again, I think so has Transit. So, yeah. and we know that Ben and uh, Andrew were were best of friends, so yeah. they probably informed each other. But I think in terms of sheer like childish swearing um oh, it's yeah. david banks it's iceberg yes there is a sentence in that and i won't repeat it because i want this <laughs> to be a family show. i don't it's not a family show bollocks um but um but but you know who's who signed off on that what editor thought yeah that's oh, a good it, sentence i mean it's it's it there's, there's also that very famous sentence from transit as well um oh yes Yes, <laughs> but again, <laughs> we, should, we should wait till the Which time. I've only just realised how kind of out of step with most of fandom I would have been, because my reaction was, Ugh. whereas I think most people were like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, along comes Quedge, who bangs everything in sight. He d- He's like, a, he's like a, a big blonde rat up a drainpipe, isn't he? Yeah. Animal, and vegetable, or mineral. He'll do anything. And of course, if you're RTD, then every gender goes. You know? Oh, absolutely. So, um, so these, the, so the version books did kind of bridge that gap. When I suppose yeah. we were adolescents, the books were, you know, sadly, I think, kind of adolescent. Yes. Um, I'm guessing. Did you read them? You know, did you buy them religiously every month yes. when they? Yep. Okay, I mean, Good um, lad. Good lad. Uh, I was very lucky. Um, there were plenty of bookshops where I was when they first started coming out. Um, and then towards the end, when they were getting harder and harder to find, um, my dad worked near, near one of the specialist two shops. So basically, he would go in and buy it for me when it came out. So... Um, I mean, I was very lucky. I had no problems getting things like So Vile a Sin mm. because he was near one of the special shops. He could just go in and buy it in his lunch break. Whereas other people around England were like going into every like, Waterstones, Dylan's, like, give me the books, give me the books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember I was um, I was still at, at uni when the, the range finished. Um, yes. So I could go into these shops, let's be honest, three or four times a day. <laughs> During during working hours. So whereas most Doctor Who fans would have had to leave work, race against time to get to the shop, it might have closed by then. They might have to wait yeah. until Saturday. Again, I could really, just keep going back until really it appeared. Really, there was actually, bizarrely, a specialist sci-fi shop in the very small town where I went to university. Um, can I can I ask where? I went to a place called Royal Holloway, which is part of the University of London, and it was in a town called Egham. Ah, um, most people wouldn't have heard of Egham, but the nearest big town is Staines. Yes, yes, that's um, right. We had we. I say we. Um, <laughs> it's twenty years since the Otticus book chain collapsed, but we yes. had a branch in Staines that my friend was the manager of. I from there. <laughs> Good lad. I can remember. It's it's too late for me to give you a discount, but yeah, um, the, the, la- the last, literally the last day of I think it was my first year. I can remember reading um, The Dying Days in the car on the way home from university. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great days. Did you and, did you then go straight on to the the Eighth Doctor novels? And, oh, yeah. And... Um, I say kind of I, I never stopped. Um, wow. I, I, I even have a full set of bennies. Um, I'm oh, a, I've got I've got all yeah. the bennies. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to because I know that kind of, you know, uh, they get overlooked and stuff. But the Virgin Bennies, I want to say, um, without going into detail, I had a lot of problems at university. It was not the happiest time of my life kind of thing. Sure. Um, and, oh, no, it isn't. I read it on a day when I was incredibly low. And I left that, ended that day on a massive high. So coming here again, you know, this, the whole following it through. Um, I think it was in my third year. 
again, um, things like uh, what was on with Dodo? Um, oh, someone was telling me about this. Was it something to do with was it Invasion of the Cat People or was no, it the no, Man in the Velvet Mask? No, 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 no. That's the the missing adventure. There's, there's the one which basically is set between the massacre and the Ark. It's not. Is it? A, it's not a site. It's not asylum. Um, it's going to drive me nuts now. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Wow. Yeah, it's. Uh, I want to remember it, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to. Just give me a second because they're Dude, all in all. Look, look it up. Look, find it quick. I tell you what, I can do it on the computer. It's much easier to Google it. Um, yeah, otherwise I would have had to have given the listeners like a sort of live commentary <laughs> in a sort of like I'm watching a sports event. I'm just He's working out. Approaching the shelf now and yeah, bending down. As, and I have an exercise addiction, so um, uh, I, I spend most of my days at the moment kind of in sports gear. So, yeah, you don't want to give them a, a, a rundown. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I just for the listeners, I just I was nearly late to the recording of this because I've been injured for about a month with a I rolled an ankle basically, mm. and just like you know when a microwave's finished and it goes ding, I yeah. just had that ding moment in my foot where it said I'm fixed, you can go for a run now, and even though I planned to go to the gym tonight, I thought right now I'm going to drop everything and go for a run. Yeah. It's sweltering hot outside, and I managed about a third of what I wanted to do. <laughs> But it was great. <laughs> Salvation, that's the one. Salvation. Yeah. I knew it was a one word title. Um I mean I read that in one night. I mean I just I just um Wow. I, I sat down and I started it. And I think I went straight from the last page of it into my first lecture of the day. <laughs> <laughs> you wow, you must have eventually gone to bed a very confused individual. Especially um, I, as I was studying quantum physics at the time, I would have gone to bed a confused individual anyway. Good Lord. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember doing one, I want to say I pulled an all-nighter, but I couldn't sleep, so I read all of the also people cover to cover. Oh. And that was a, that was a time. Oh, I enjoyed that. I'd say kind of, you know, that is an absolute favourite of mine, although um, the pronunciation of the character names, I think, is... Now, it's one of the ones with with punctuation marks in i can do sarak cover that's about it <laughs> i say yeah yeah it's that and i think it's venusian lullaby which has like brackets in the middle of the names yes <laughs> some of them were very hard but if i can just sort of go back because i think what you were saying there really chimed with what i felt about these books in that i mean without knowing anything about each other's university careers. Mm. Mine mine wasn't, you know, all fun and games either. And Doctor Who, up until I went to university, was like the one constant of my yes. life that had been taken away by, you know, the rather crass commercial decisions of the BBC and the personal bias of the, the arsehole Michael Grade. Um, yes. So the Virgin books were, I suppose, a kind of comfort blanket. And Definitely. a lot of people wouldn't have bothered with them because they weren't canon or it wasn't important or the show had gone. But I was in the camp of people who thought they were absolutely 100% essential sequential yeah. uh, run-ons from the show. And, and, they, and I needed them, you know, and that's I probably I've, why I've still got them. Yeah, so kind of the, they live very happily on my show. I've got far more time for them than the EDAs. I mean, I've got all the EDAs, but... No, not really the sentimentality for them. Yeah, they're not. And it's it's hard to put into words because what I'm finding reading them again now is that they're not as bad as I thought they were at the time. Um, often. And um, <laughs> well, I say often, sometimes. Um, they started off with a terrible run of, of uh, with the exception of Alien Bodies, the first six or seven books were shocking, I, and that. I was actually doing. I know. I did some research before this podcast interview. Um, <laughs> nom nominally, we're talking about Witchmark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I thought, well, I know. I know the kind of Witchmark has got a, a bit of a bad reputation. So I actually dug out the the readers' surveys and the DWM surveys 
oh, wow. of time. Yeah. And it's just like, really? Yeah. Um, there's so much in, in what I kind of read up on. But it's just like, I actually, I, I was looking, I thought, bloody hell. This is just not what I was expecting. Um, so, yeah, because Witchmark, of course, is part of the Cat's Cradle series. Um, the second batch, which did not do too well in various polls. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the the kind of the, the more interesting thing though is, you know, in terms of Cat's Cradle, Warhead and Witchmark got virtually identical um, results when they when DWM did a poll of all of them. Every, so in, all the, it, the the first yeah um the first seven books or the first two years worth or because right. i don't know what month so right so when they did this was uh this was issue two seven five two two six five sorry so in two six five they um they had just done kind of like the give your mark out of 10 for each of the tv stories yeah as they're doing at the moment for the 60th but they actually did it for every single Virgin book. Okay. Um, and yeah, Human Nature is first. It's got 85% as an average. Um, Predictable as ever, Doctor. Well, you say that, but um, Time Worm Exodus got 79.2%. Uh, it's not that good. <laughs> um. <laughs> Warhead and Witchmark, well, Warhead got 61.57 and Witchmark got 61.53. Wow. Times Crucible got 57.23. Okay, yeah, that tracks. Can I ask, without telling me what the lowest ranked book was, what score did it get? It got 45.57%. So even the lowest ranked book of the entire series, and I can't begin to speculate what that could have been, got 45%. Yeah. That's a lot higher and more charitable than I would have necessarily expected. Do you want to know what Interference got? I'd love to. Got 43%. Hot fat Christ. (laughs) That's so, amazing. So I, they never did a kind of all-in-one thing. So I went through because, yeah, I I've always thought the kind of certain books are really popular. For, so Time Worm Revelation, everyone says, oh, that's the best, you know, one of the best new adventures. Yeah. Actually, it came thirty-first out of sixty-one. So it's kind of the median new adventure. It's, it's, it's kind yeah. of like half, got sixty-eight percent. Um, and you and say the beloved Alien Bodies. Uh, let me just. Scroll. Alien Bodies got seventy six percent. Okay, you know what? I think I think we should nail our colours to the mast here and expose how out of kilter with fandom we are. Uh, we yeah. should both say what our personal favourite new adventures are, and then we'll see what scores they yeah. got. So, so for the new adventure, yeah. um, it's the also people. Absolutely, definitely the also people. Okay. Um, with the with the uh, with the with the EDAs, I I really didn't like where they went, but the one I absolutely adored, which everyone hated, is the Crooked World. That that's the cartoon one. Isn't cartoon it? one, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've read that yet. There are because I've read about half of them from the library because yeah. I'd given up on them as a ongoing thing to purchase. But mm. I've always been intrigued by that. So my favourite new adventure would have been Warlock. Warlock, right? Yeah. Okay, so that came 33rd with 67.7%. Okay, so I'm guessing the also people comfortably beat me. Uh, I say me, I mean Warlock. (laughs) I didn't write Warlock, it was Andrew Cartman. The also people, 73.6%, and it came 10th. Okay, so I'm trying to think of a a favourite EDA. I don't know if that's a contradiction in terms yeah Um, it's difficult isn't it there isn't i i suspect that by the time i've reread and 
in some cases read them all for the first time mm. i will have favorites and i suspect it might be something like i don't know uh revolution man or or um the blue angel but for right now based on what i have read the standout book is city of the dead city of the dead right let's see i can find it 73 percent that's good it yep it came 19th out of oh, um i haven't actually i haven't got to the slaughter or gallifrey chronicles scored um i didn't i didn't find those by the time we started recording but yeah interference actually is officially the lowest scoring not just of the of the edas but it's lower in terms of dwm vote than transit wow <laughs> and then you say that but i say because i then actually went to a few other kind of sources of, of data because i being a scientist i'm a data nerd yeah in issue five sorry in issue 252 dave owen did his own personal ratings of them he <laughs> so for example he gave time worm genesis one out of ten okay that's harsh yep. he gave witch mark three out of ten which puts it on a par with time worm exodus mm. <laughs> his and one of the best ones he gave was all consuming fire well that was th mm. that is a strong a strong title now so i've got one more question sure. to dig into this data yeah sure interference got what did you say 40 43 42%. Right. 42%. Yeah. What about the new adventure Blood Heat, which is basically the same book wherein someone <laughs> goes back and changes the way the third doctor died? Uh 77.6%. It came seventh in the big Wow. Oh yeah. Interesting. Yes. Just just goes to show if you've got brevity and you've got the brigadier. Yeah. And it's just and confined to one book and dinosaurs. <laughs> People have got a lot more time for your nonsense than if but you... I, th I think the other very telling thing is, because when they did the big thing for the um, for the whole range of books, you did, as with the DWM alone, you didn't, if you weren't happy to give a vote for it, you didn't have to. But mm. for this, and sadly not for the other ones, most of the other ones, they actually said how many people voted for those particular books. Okay. Um, so Time Worm Genesis, um, let me look there, right down near the bottom of the list, um, actually had uh, 1,535 people willing to give a score to it. Okay. Yeah. By the time you get to things like the death of art, you've only got 695 people who are willing to vote. Wow. No, it gets worse. It's going to count. Oh, oh blimey. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then basically, you know, they in the next issue, 266, they said, can we have kind of like the, the votes for, um, you know, the EDAs that have come out? We're back up to 1,550 for the eight doctors. It had already dropped to 960 for the eight for alien bodies. <laughs> um, and then later on, when they, you, know, you suddenly find they're getting like 200 votes for the ED8s. Wow. The, the range is just, yeah. And I, I think which mark, because actually when you look at it how it was voted in that year's season survey it was the second most popular novel that year ahead of love and war how it, it reminds me of the, the deadly assassin coming bottom in the fan <laughs> pile of of that year uh, yeah there is there is, there is the opportunity for this kind of revisionist history yeah. and i i think Let's say because one of the reasons I wanted to do which mark is because I'm in the middle of recording it for my talking book project. I think it needs revisiting because when you look at when you look at the plot of it, and you think, hmm, there's a certain amount of Harry Potter to this. Yes. 
because you've got all the kind of the the mythological creatures you've got the the centaurs you've got unicorns you've got stuff like that you've got the kid taken from the kind of the the witch world with his triangular kind of symbol to show that he's the witch yeah um you've got an awful lot of conflict between regular humans and the kind of the yeah the the the, 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 the other world, yeah the others, yeah um I think it's I think it's one that definitely yeah. I so so are you positing a theory that one of the the fifteen hundred was <laughs> Joanna Kathleen Rowling? Um, no, I'm, but I am positing the theory that it is such a generic story that it might as well have been. I mean, yeah. So and and it looks like how about this, listeners? We finally got round to talking about Witchmark, but it. It struck me when I reread it that it has kind of a lot in common with survival. It's the um, Doctor and Ace going from one location through a magical portal into another I'm location. Tell, I'm going to tell you what it's got a lot more in common with. Please do. And because it ties in perfectly with the dates. It was commissioned just before the end of the last series of The Chronicles of Narnia on BBC. Oh, it was commissioned. Say the very last episode of Chronicles of Narnia was December '91, and this they um, Peter Darvill Evans sent out the letter saying, "Yes, proceed with the book in December 1991." It is massively Narnia. Wow. So, do we think that's? Do we think Andrew Hunt was watching Narnia and then sort of thinking? Right. Wow. Wow. What to write about? Hmm. Uh, it's very strange because um, he's actually now these days he's a vet. He's uh, he's always been very, very animal centered. Um, there, there was a very strong sense of that in the book. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, so I think kind of it's a, you know, it's what he knows about. It's Narnia. And one of the things that kind of I've always felt about the initial run of books is that you're they're trying to they're trying to find their level because when you look at those first seven books there's no two books that have got the same tone the same style anything like that and i think it's a great one for them saying well actually how would doctor who do a narnia type book the fact it's got the same are we allowed to do spoilers you know yeah i think i think we're the statute of limitations is up now because basically it's got the same resolution almost as the demons in that it turns out that all these things are actually an alien experiment. But it is essentially, it's kind of, it's animals, it's Narnia, it's how can you do Narnia with a Doctor Who explanation? Hmm. And more importantly, Narnia's Doctor Who hadn't been done. So it's like, how would the audience react to it? And I think really, um, yeah, it's one that I think deserves to be revisited. The other thing, though, that, goes against it and um oh i am so sorry to anyone for who's listening in wales could you please have words that are pronounceable <laughs> <laughs> apart from the house move the reason um which mark is taking me so long to record is because i'm actually having to re- research how the names should be pronounced it's not something that kind of like you can look at sure and instant unless you're a native welsh speaker you know it's kind of it's it's and there's so many of them you've yeah. got the same you know there's there's lots of them and by the time your brain has remembered which name goes with which set of creatures yeah yeah, yeah. It, uh, it becomes quite difficult but i think it's worth it i think actually um out of those first seven it's the one that i really would recommend people revisit um yeah i can i can see that it's the one i think in many ways it's it feels the most like season 25 season 26 mm. i think the characterization of ace is the best characterization of tv ace that the new yeah. adventures delivered and i think one of the problems as well with Witchmark. And I'm sorry, the, the the blame for the following comment is laid squarely at Peter Darville Evans, is that Ace is all over the place in those first seven books. Yes. I mean, in Cats, in um, in Warhead, 
she's this ultra competent mercenary who can negotiate with the aid of a, of a translator who can do James Bond style raids. Yeah. But who then comes back to the house in Allen Road and bursts into tears when someone says something nasty about her. And then takes all her clothes off and it all gets um, a bit exciting. <laughs> well, actually, no, it, it, what, what happens with one of the other characters is far, far worse. And it's actually to the point where I, I had to stop recording after I read that bit. Because I thought, I can't have just read that. <laughs> Basically, kind of, there is underage sexual assault in Warhead that it doesn't happen directly on the page, but it is very strongly implied. Uh, yeah. And, but then suddenly, in Witchmark, we're back to very traditional Doctor Who. So I think we're we're discovering an interesting point of difference between us, which is you, as a former teacher, are a very morally upright person who's sensitive to these things and looking out for them. And um, whereas I, I, I love that shit, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, the darker the better. No, I don't want to see children being abused. Don't get no. me wrong, listeners. But um, a dark, futury, cyberpunky, bleak. Yeah. Um, misanthropic view of humanity yeah. i was i was all over that so I say, uh, it, was, it was just it's it's very strange the kind of the jarring tone between kind of the first seven books after those first seven everything settles down especially with the introduction of benny absolutely um but say no one can decide what the tone of those first seven is and i think everyone knows the the time worm books quite well because yeah. they are the first batch and everyone read them and although the data suggests otherwise, you know, everyone kind of raves about Time Worm Revelation as being the birth of modern Doctor Who literature and everything. But I think kind of like the, the Cat's Cradle ones, they are so all over the place that by the time you get to Witchmark, and the other problem is the Cat's Cradle actual story arc, I still don't know what it is, and I've read the bloody books. Well, <laughs> so I was... I. Anyone who's listened to last week's episode will know that we had Andrew Cartmel on the show and he was telling us that the book he wrote was just called Warhead mm. and the, the book that Andrew Hunt wrote was just called Witchmark and The Cat's Cradle was a real 11th hour kind of decision and I think everyone oh, had probably half an hour to rewrite oh, a chapter. Oh, oh, Mr. Cartmel, slap wrist time. Because... This is oh yes, this is brilliant. This this, uh, viewers, uh, you know, viewers who aren't watching this kind of life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The David J. Howe book, The Who Adventures, has a very different story to tell. Does it? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Would you Um, like? Would you like to fill us in? Yes, because I I read it earlier and I just thought, bloody hell, that doesn't time with what I read in the books. No. so yeah, let me just find the pages right. Um, so this is this is how I know it was commissioned in 1990, because um, right, because I actually kind of got the dates from here. Um, where is it right? So page 39, right? On 11th of December 1990, Darvel Evans wrote to the three authors who had submitted ideas and formally told them that they were to be commissioned to write new adventures novels. These were Mark Hat. Mark Platt, Andrew Hunt, and Andrew Cartmel. At that stage, only one of the three proposals had a working title, and that was Mark Platt's Cat's Cradle. Darvel Evans decided that the publication order of the book should be first Platt's, then Cartmel's, then Hunt's. Furthermore, he encouraged the authors to work as a team and suggested they swap addresses and telephone numbers and meet up to discuss the three-book series. Hmm. Um... And it then goes on to say, Peter, uh, Darvel Evans went on to outline the basic premise for the series, that the Doctor would be on a quest to locate TARDIS components, with the TARDIS itself being the one doing the searching, so that he would not know where he would arrive each time. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there is a, a slight discrepancy. That especially, is very interesting. Especially as it then goes on to say, by 28th of February 1991, Platt's book had the working title Old Haunts, and Cartmel's was called Escape. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
it's not that I don't trust Andrew Cartmore. It's like David Howe, of course, does research. Yes. And, yeah. So that. But the only thing, the only possible caveat there is that uh, David Howe's research might have been to ask Peter Darvill Evans. Evans, yeah. And he, from what I understand, is is uh, very fond of um, how to say this politely. He has a very uh, uh, he has a very specific view of history where Peter Darvill Evans is perhaps more important to history than may actually be the case. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, it was it was it's interesting kind of the the reading that version of it, because say kind of, you know, I'd, I'd heard Andrew Cartmore comment that it was an 11th hour thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm going to again throw some confusion into the works because I've got other evidence against <sighs> against. And if, if you want to know kind of how attitudes have changed, this today, when I when I looked this up, my jaw dropped. Okay, so Timeworm Genesis uh, was big previewed in issue 175 of DWM. Yeah. Um, I say he, yes, like I can remember the specific issues so number I don't. Cover of it and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's eventually reviewed in issue 177 but in issue 167 so 10 months before it was reviewed there is a, a an interview with Darvill Evans about the, the upcoming books and in it he does then you know he talks about kind of like you know the fact that there's going to be um more after time worm he actually gives away the ending of Timeworm Genesis in the interview. Um, and yeah, um, and then in kind of 173, you know, they're talking about Cat's Cradle volumes one, two, and three. So kind of, you know, and that's long before Genesis has even come out and been reviewed. So that is very interesting. So. Yeah, it does. It does sound like it's conflict. I'm not going to take sides. Um, If you were, I mean, because you've taken a very, you know, prosecutorial stance here. If you were, if you were going to be the Valiard to (laughs) to Andrew (laughs) Cartmel, and oh my God, I wish I loved the Valiard. Um, But that's just me. Yeah. Um, It. I, you know, yeah. I mean, the other the other thing that I took from my conversation with Andrew is that it was his first book. He just wanted to write a book. He probably emotionally was ready to move on from Doctor Who by that point, and he went yeah. on to write a lot more books um, for it. So, I mean, my, my comment is, you know, I I I don't think it's a fifty fifty thing. Um, yeah, I would believe Peter Darvill Evans a bit more. Um, my comment about and say apologies andrew if you do listen to this my co- my comment about warhead is he's written a really good book and then suddenly realized he's supposed to put doctor who in it <laughs> <laughs> um, i genuinely i just felt it was it was that thing and i i, I think this quote is cartmel's own quote but the idea of the doctor is being like trying to look at a mountain range from a distance through the through the mist yeah. or whatever i really like that um that way of using the doctor yeah. and i think that works in a book whereas 90 percent of these books are just uh, trying to rehash what happened on telly and giving the doctor similar lines it's very telling that the continuity in warhead doesn't even tie in with the continuity of tv of the era that Cartmel was <laughs> for. Yeah, hasn't Ace got a bit younger somehow? No, Ace, Ace, by, I think in this one, I think in Warhead, Ace has been travelling with the Doctor for five years. Right, okay. And then so I'm sure, I'm sure he, at one point he says she's 17, and I'm thinking, well, she was older than that in Fenric. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> as I say, Ace is all over the place. I mean, getting rid of Ace was the really sensible thing to do with the books. Yeah. Because meant that they could actually have a writer's guide for Benny. But yeah, um Ace is just as I say she's kind of I think she's early twenties in one of them. She's seventeen in one of them. She's yeah. kind of she's been travelling with the doctor for five years in one of them. Yeah. 
she can be emotionally fragile she can be tough as old boots she can be a femme fatale she yeah. can be sort of monstrous boiler from, you know. um, she's a very elastic figure i mean she's sexually promiscuous in in several of them and then she's, oh, she's a virgin <laughs> <laughs> one minute she's banging sablon glitz when she's 15 the next yeah, I mean, she's, it's, it's, it is extraordinary I think there is a certain lack of editorial overview. And mm. sadly, again, bringing it back to Witchmark, um, I think one of the problems is that because for whatever reason, there's been no kind of big discussion about what the overall plot is, what the overall arc is, how it should be built up. As I said, in this interview in issue 167, Peter Darvill Evans outlines the plot of all four of the Time Worm books, including the end of Time Worm Genesis. Yeah, <laughs> literally, he gives away the final scenes in the TARDIS where there's the ultimate defeat. It's like, what? Um, and then suddenly we've got this bizarre. You've got, I mean, the other thing is, which I hadn't remembered, was that the cat first appears in Time Worm Apocalypse. Does it? There's hints of it. Um, Basically, in the Time Worm books, Ace is asking the Doctor if there's a cat in the TARDIS, and she hears scratching sounds. Oh, I think you're right because I I reread the Time Worm books about three years ago now. Yeah. I think it was it was the first year of COVID. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And said so kind of as, when I was when I was doing the, the book of Apocalypse, I suddenly thought, hold on, I didn't realize the cat came in this early. So there's you know there's a build up to it. There's teases of it. In Cat's Cradle times Crucible, it's this really kind of bizarre enemy, big monster destroying TARDIS, pushing at the doors, which then degenerates into a cat at the end. Mm. The cat is in literally one scene of Warhead. And then it's not there till the end of Witchmark when they suddenly realise hell we have this plot line to read oh to, that that story arc we were contractually yeah. obliged to uh discuss oh dear yeah. and basically i mean which mark is about ninety-eight thousand words it's kind of you know it is the the cat's cradle ones are Bloody hell. really long um yeah. again i'm geeky enough so i've got the word count saved on my computer for other bits that i'm kind of putting together for things so I'm going to test your research and your um, your your looking up of pronunciations. How are you How are you pronouncing the villain of Witchmark? Um, I can't even remember what the villain's called. <laughs> <laughs> I recorded the first part of it six weeks ago, and right. then the house move went abysmally. I mean, it was the worst house move I've ever been involved in. Oh um, wow! Oh, we'll have to come back to this. It involved three lorries. Um, I was in one of them because I needed to, and we broke down on the motorway. Oh no! And um, we uh, got pets, and all of the the pets had moved four hours ahead of the lorries. Oh my god! Pet homes were in the third lorry that I yeah. was. Oh. Let me just kind of uh, call up the name so that I can. Oh, uh, Driffid. Driffid? Uh, no, oh, that's not what I've got written down. <laughs> well, no, that's, the, that's the leader, is it? Who's, yeah. um, what's the... So, I'm going to go with Gavney. Oh, Givney. Givney. Yeah. Givney. Givney. Um, uh, Richard, if you are listening to this, apologies. I did read your messages on Twitter about how to pronounce these things. <laughs> and probably completely ignored them. <laughs> I just Googled it. <laughs> um it's as a apparently it's a kind of the uh oibh is Givni, something like that and that's the um, well, it's sort of like siobhan right i mean yes that's, that's the that's celtic the, the yeah um Givni. yeah um it's it is a say um my plan is i've got three days next week where i'm kind of i've got recording time where it's gonna be really quiet um, so I might have gone back and re-edited everything that I've done so far to change the pronunciation. Um, but you've got the, um, I mean, say kind of, you know, you've got 
the humans, they've got the, the Fearbog centaurs, you've got the Fauvoir, uh, who are the troll ones, um, you've got the Kethils. It's just, you know, there are so many of them. And I think the problem is there's just too many of them. I think so. I think, um, and actually we'll come back to the she in a minute, but um, oh, the, yeah. there, there are so many of them. They don't get to do particularly very much, so they don't make much of an impression. If he'd had five books and he'd fleshed out one species in each book, I think that would have been wonderful. And I think actually, it, as I say, kind of, I mean, bang, it's really done. You've got someone who's nearly burnt alive. One of the centaurs is burnt alive. I mean, yeah. You know, the unicorns have their horns hacked off. Right. Uh, it's, you know, you could get some really dark stuff from this, but say, because it's condensed into the one book and it's got the cat's cradle stuff tagged onto the end, you are absolutely correct. Um, you know, very few of them um, kind of stand out as particularly memorable. And the bizarre thing is, and I had completely forgotten this, um, of course, the cat's cradle stuff, which is resolved using bits of the, the the magic world, then gets picked up on again in deceit. Does it? Because I haven't reread that one yet. <laughs> oh, in that case, I shall not say too much more. But yeah, oh. it's, one, it's one of these really weird ones that actually, yeah, deceit is is you know quite highly regarded. Yeah. But actually, it, it relies on which mark? Interesting. <laughs> So, um, bless you. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm not gonna edit that out. I shall oh. leave that sneeze in so that the audience know how polite I am with yes. my bless you. So when I did um, uh, David A. McKinty's uh, EDA Autumn Mist way mm. back when, near the start of the whole first series, yeah. that had the she in it, and I'm choosing to interpret them as being exactly the same branch of the she as you get in Witchmark. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of these books, though, which really does uh, keep saying this. people need to go back to it because, yeah, actually, um, I mean, also, it's got the Eye of Harmony in it. So it ties in with mm. the TV movie, it ties in with the Eight Doctors, it ties in with all kinds of things. Um, so, yeah. It's, so, yeah, it's 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 more important than we think. It's yes. more integral than we think. Yeah. And as, you, as you've ably demonstrated with your with your research and your and your Agent Scully work, um, <laughs> at the time it was a lot more highly regarded than it sort of went on to be. I mean, I think the conventional wisdom now is that it's maybe in the sort of bottom, I don't know, ten percent of the Virgin books, which is grossly unfair and, and yeah. not not true at all. Um, so in in that. In the big one where they did all the things i mean yeah it's it's 45th out of 61 but i think actually you know when you look at the 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 vnas as a whole i mean say it got um so i've lost my place on the screen it got 61.5 percent you know there's an awful lot in the 60s, so they're all really, really close. I mean, there's not there's not huge amounts of difference between them. You know, left-handed hummingbird is basically the, the one that hits the 70 mark. So highest science is exactly 70. So kind of 10% wow. separates book number 24 and book number 46. I mean, it's <laughs> extraordinary because if I was – if I was marking them all out of 10, and I'll probably start doing that now, yeah. um, there is going to be a huge variety and there are there are going to be some books that get 10 out of 10 and there are going to be some books that, that get 1 out of 10. Um, human, human nature got 85%. I'm, I am going to have to go and feed the pets myself in a minute, I'm afraid. To yes, say. of course. No, I could I could talk to you all night, but I'm aware that it's 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 the middle um, thereof for you. And I'm... It's uh, 9.15, yeah. Oh, I'm very and, sorry. No, no. And believe me, I think, kind of, you know, there is so many more books I, you know, I would want to discuss. You know, this is not going to be uh, the last <laughs> one because there are so many things about this era. It was the era that I grew up with. Um, and I will sing its praises beyond the stars it is you know 
It is uh, an amazing era. And you just you look at the range of books, you look at the range of characters, the range of attitudes. Um, and yeah, which mark? It's not perfect. It's got a lot of problems, but it's got a lot of stuff going for it. And I think it was a book that had it come out 10 years later would have been received incredibly differently. You know, I think it it missed Narnia and it predate, predated Harry Potter. And I think it's just got caught in that window. Mm. And I really would suggest if you can reread it, you really should. So apologies for the pun, but I'm going to let the cat out of the bag straight away. Cat's Tradle, Witchmark, is not the rousing climax to a trilogy of interconnected adventures. To be honest, it's probably an offence under the Trades Descriptions Act to even call it a trilogy at all. No wonder Virgin did away with the umbrella titles after this. There is a conclusion to the flimsy, the TARDIS is seriously damaged through line, stemming from Time's Crucible, but that feels utterly tacked on at the end in a dictated by the editor's are if I really must kind of way, so I'll not mention it ever again. Instead, what we do get is mainly a Doctor Who meets the Fantasy Quest genre novel. Touchstones are probably the Narnia Chronicles and definitely Lord of the Rings, with the latter providing some of the chapter titles for the book, not to mention some blindly obvious call-outs. But there are also elements of Gaelic, Welsh and other mythologies woven into the backstory. I'll get to my thoughts on the actual plot in a bit, but it's perhaps telling that it was the origin, adaptation and use of these medieval names and stories that intrigued me the most. I've come across many of the Irish names and concepts elsewhere, primarily in the Slain comic strip in 2000 AD, written by Pat Mills. And here in Witchmark, some are used pretty straight. The supernatural otherworld of Tien and Og is often described as being accessed via ancient sites, so Stone Circle fits well. And while the Tour de Danan are not the ruling council of the land, they were depicted as kings, queens and warrior heroes and had shape-shifting powers. Their leader was known as Nuada, and in his most famous tales lost his arm in battle, eventually replacing him with one made from silver. Maybe he was an early Cyberman. Other names have been appropriated to fill Andrew Hunt's world. The Fearbolg of myth were men, not centaurs. The Fomorians were hideous sea creatures, not trolls. And the Shi were often the fairy folk. Definitely not hobbits with fox-like characteristics. See all to mist for an alternative take on them. Distrusting warrior chieftain Kulain is far removed from his Gaelic namesake, who served as the inspiration for the aforementioned slain, warp spasm and all. But Dagda and Erwan seem appropriate names for the twin sons of Tiernanog, given that one is associated with fertility and the other with death. Most interesting of all, though, is the name given to the magician at the heart of this quest, Gwivnyu. In Irish mythology, he was one of a trio of divine craftsmen, a metalsmith, provider of a sacred otherworldly feast, and brewed ale that can convey immortality on those who drank it. The craftsman side totally fits with the idea that the alien Troifran scientist created the world. Not all the creatures stem from Gaelic prehistory, though. The unicorns are known as Kefil, which, as any Welsh speaker, of which I am not one, knows means horse. Pretty on the nose there. And the Dinorban fortress did once exist in Wales, although it's long since been destroyed. All that, and an appearance from Hearn, from English folklore, who lives backwards in time, like Merlin of Arthurian legend. Anyway, enough with Andrew Hunt's melting pot framework. What about the actual novel? Well, it's absolutely the most traditional Doctor Who story in this loose trilogy. It's a non-manipulative seventh Doctor and an immature ace who still uses phrases like bog breath, so clearly not the gun-toting hero from Warhead. And it all starts off in a 90s X-Files kind of a way. A remote Welsh village where strange things are happening, a grizzled local who seems to know more than he's letting on, locals disappearing without warning, a bus crash full of people with no identification except for a strange birthmark. We even have a Mulder stand-in with Inspector Stevens of the Yard. 
Though once the Doctor and Ace more quickly than I expected stumble into Tin and Og, the fantasy influences are worn loud and proud. And Frodo and Sam, sorry, the Doctor and Ace, are sent on an impossible mission to defeat the evil Dark Lord and restore things. Although no one really thinks they'll succeed. Throw in some demonic monsters, a Welsh cult burning people at the stake, not to mention centaurs, and Ace forming a telepathic bond with a unicorn. All that and a description of pregnant women having their stomachs cut open and the babies being strangled with their own umbilical cords. It's a heady mix. I kind of like the premise. Basically, the world's ending, so the fellowship of fantasy creatures and men breaks because humans are selfish and want to become refugees in our world. And I can't remember Doctor Who doing a pure fantasy of this type before. And herein lies my problem. I wish it stayed as a fantasy setting. It would have been something different. Not everything in Doctor Who has to have a scientific explanation. And to be honest, once it was all revealed that the world was all the work of genetic engineering by an alien, I kind of lost interest a little. Not to mention that once that came to light, the whole thing seemed to rush headlong to a conclusion, with numerous plot threads just left hanging. Where did all the money found on the people in the crushed coach come from? The same goes for the replicas of the Doctor and Ace. I assume they were demons, but... What purpose did their disguise serve? If it was just to kill Janet and Hugh, then what? The whole element seemed to peter out. Was David really Bathsheba's missing brother? If so, what happened to send him to Earth? And why did Hearn merge with old Davy from outside of the pub? What was that all about? It feels like the book could have done with quite a few more pages. And a different resolution. One that didn't have to tie into that trilogy ending that shall not be named. How much of this was down to it being Andrew Hunt's first novel was difficult to say, but the ideas were solid, even if I personally would have preferred a different and more fulfilling execution.